Welcome in to Inside Carolina On The Beat Live, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. With On The Beat Live, this is Tommy Ashley. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Gregory Hall on the other side of the country, stepping up to handle this stuff. So if you're wondering about his different view of the, the non-flag view, I've got the flags covered for folks. Uh, Greg Barnes, fresh off the golf course or watching his young protege um, take the world by storm on the golf course. It's been a while since we've done this. I think we missed last week. At some point, folks, before we get into this one, I was going to let you know, we're going to do a live subscriber uh, podcast slash on the beat live slash YouTube screen stream and get some of you guys in here to ask questions and chat with us. But tonight, since Gregory is on the other side of the world, we're going to do it regular way. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, how y'all doing? Doing good, Tommy. It feels like it has been a while. It has. Gregory Hall, what have you been doing since we last talked? Uh, I have flown out to San Diego for the girlfriend that y'all didn't believe that I had, and I'm out here for for two weeks. Still need receipts, man. Pictures just because you just because we're you going, fly across the country. We're going to a wedding on wedding on Saturday, so there man, will be, tell you, there'll if be she's picks. listening, if she's listening right now, she can she can step in. All I see is a popcorn ceiling. I don't she's, know they had those in San Diego. <laughs> she's at the gym, but she, I might get I might I might I might get kicked out if I show you her room. So <laughs> that is hilarious. Look, guys, um, I'm wearing there is no off season shirt again because I wore it after the season was over and there was still more season to talk about. Uh, I mean, now, Greg, I'll get you in here right in on it. Kerwin Walton um, walks up to the line, dips his finger or his toes in the water, and then jumps all the way in the portal, um, and he's out of Carolina. Thoughts on that and how that went down? Quite frankly, I'm surprised it took so long. Um, but the fact that it did, did make it a little surprising. Yeah, agreed, Tommy. Um, and just just knowing Carwin and a little bit I know about his family, uh, they don't seem to be uh, vindictive people whatsoever. I mean, Carwin's is, is straight up and as nice of a guy as there is, which leads me to believe that um, this really was a situation where he had decided to come back, and then just as that deadline approached, uh, he started having second thoughts, and uh, last minute he puts his name in the in the portal. Um, and, and to your point, you know, at the end of the season, uh, really thought it was going to be a situation of, okay, who does Hubert try to sell his pitch to, Kerwin or Anthony Harris? I really thought it was going to come down to, to one of those two guys who was, uh, was going to end up leaving. Um, and like you, I think a lot of people, and I, I did too, thought it was going to be Kerwin. Uh, but when Anthony left quickly after the, the team meetings, I think that kind of told us that, hey, they're going to try to uh, work with Carwin. There's a lot of potential there. Now, we saw what he did as a freshman. Has to get a lot better defensively. But um, you know, he's proven that he can score and be productive at this level. And for whatever reason, he decided last minute to leave. Um, you know, I don't don't blame the guy for, for wanting to do what's best for him. The problem is, is that doing it when he did it, uh, it kind of put North Carolina in a tough spot because you are 
limited a little bit of what you can do moving forward. Some of the top names in the portal had already committed because in North Carolina was not even involved because they, they thought they were going to have a full roster coming back, all 13 guys. Um, but there's some, some good options in the portal now. And uh, I think it's just a matter of, of doing their due diligence and, and finding somebody that works. And uh, looking at the, the roster right now, pretty clearly they need somebody in the post. Um, you know, if, if Puff Johnson is your projected starting four, uh, I think I think that could be problematic. Um, he's going to have to grow into that position. So if you could find somebody that could that could spell Armando and give you some some help there at the four, uh, that would be most beneficial. Gregory, were you surprised um, if there was one guy? after the season was over that I thought was going to transfer immediately. I, other than Dawson Garcia, who was gone long ago. I mean, I, I, I just assumed it was Kerwin. So I was surprised that he stuck around as long as he did. Now, whatever happened in the meantime, look, guys got to do what they got to do for their families, for themselves. Lord knows coaches do it all the time. We do it. You know, somebody came up and offered um, Gregory Hall a million dollars to jump over to a competitor. Um, you'd probably do it. Who wouldn't? That being said, the way it all went down, kind of weird. But like I told Greg, Gregory, not surprising. Yeah, and as far as timeline-wise, you would have – at least I would have thought that if it wasn't once the season was over and then we heard about Caleb, like the thought process going through that, maybe then once Caleb announced, it would be soon after that. But I, it really was – all the way up to the to the deadline for Kerwin. So I think that kind of shows to like Greg said, the the rationale behind it, the thought process, the whether or not it's a good it's a good move. Um, and I mean, I guess now if he doesn't transfer, Greg, how's that work? Now that he's in the portal, if he doesn't transfer, does it affect him at all? What do you like mean if, does it affect him? As far as like I know if you enter the portal after May 1st, you're not eligible. But since he entered before May 1st, if he comes back to Carolina, he's fine, right? Correct, yeah. Not, but like, so, I mean, who knows what, what happens with that as far as it seems like it's pretty much. But it, it, it is a situation, though, where scholarships are, are renewed every year. You know, it's not a situation where, and some people get confused on this, when you sign a scholarship with a program, whether it be whatever sport it is, football, basketball, with that being the focus of what we cover, you don't sign for four years. You don't sign for the whole, you have four years, you have five years to play four. It's a year-to-year scholarship. That's how it works. So uh, even though nobody really pulls scholarships unless uh, there are issues going on, you, this is a situation where he can't just say, hey, I'm going back to Carolina. Uh, there's got to be a scholarship there for him, and there's got to be an invitation for him to come back. So, Yeah, gotcha. I mean, it's kind of like the mayor Mayor did that with Baylor. And if I'm not mistaken, Baylor picked up a guy pretty, pretty quickly. Um, coaches can't wait. And it's kind of like if you're going to put your name in the portal, it's kind of like Dayton, right? I kind of like that girl over there, so I'm going to go over there. And if she likes me back, I'm going to stay with her. But if she doesn't, I'm going to come back. Mm. It, doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. And, and Tommy, it, we don't have to get in this right now because this is not what we're talking about. But uh, the whole Jordan Addison deal, that's what this is about. That's crazy um, there. Yeah, and it, it infuriates me that, I mean, 
USC is basically offering him money, but you can't trace it while he's on roster with Pittsburgh. But if he was in the portal, nobody would have any issue with it. So all it takes is somebody willing to blur that line. And you have kind of what we have with that situation. It's only going to get worse until somebody does something about it. Uh, and with Emmert stepping down, basically NCAA said, you know, whatever. So I really think it's on the coaches associations to really push something through. Uh, but it's a mess. So, I mean, yeah. Do you, do you go ahead and cheat behind the curtain while you're on roster somewhere? Or do you, you try to be legitimate and get in the portal and find stuff out? But doing so, you know that your spot at your previous place may not be available anymore. It's a mess. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, the debate over NIL. I think it's pretty obvious that if NIL was not a thing, that Carolina's basketball roster would look significantly different in October when practice opens than it did in New Orleans. Because of NIL, I believe it's going to look significantly the same. Am I wrong there, Greg? So I think NIL has benefited Carolina greatly, and it has benefited play some players. But the crooked side of it is the Jordan Addison type deal. It's the thing where they're like, come over here, we'll pay you whatever. If you leave the school where you're a stud and you've got, ironically, a USC quarterback coming to throw the ball to you. I mean, where's the – Where's the line? Is NIL a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, so there's there's a couple things here. What's going on with Jordan Addison is not NIL. It's pay for play. He's being offered money to go play at Southern Cal. That is not name, image, and likeness. You're not allowed to do that. There's only like three rules, uh, and you you can't do that. You can't pay a player for his athletic ability um, to entice him. You, and so I, I think there's an important distinction there. Um, but your point about Carolina basketball, that is NIL. That is setting – you're setting a marketplace, right? Because in previous years, the players are saying, okay, well, do I stay or do I go? Well, if I stay, I get to play for Carolina and I get a scholarship for another year and I can get my education, make mom and dad happy, and I get all these fans to love me, part of the Carolina family. All those are great things. There's not a lot of financial uh, uh, numbers associated with that, however. Or I can go pro. And even if I don't make it in the NBA, maybe I can go G League, which is a much lower dollar amount, or I can go overseas. And because I played at Carolina, I know a ton of guys who have played overseas. Uh, you know, Marcus Page. Um, I mean, Hansborough, there's, there's countless numbers of guys who, who've had long successful careers, Deion Thompson, Marcus Guignard. Um, so there's, there's money versus the Carolina basketball program and all it brings. Now with NIL, it's money on this side with the NBA and the G league and overseas, but you also have the Carolina basketball program plus name, image, and likeness, which because you're a Carolina basketball player, because you're a good player, people will use your NIL, your name, image, and likeness to promote products. And that's where you get Bojangles deals and Johnny Seafood and Johnny T-shirt and all these other things. 
that provide money. Uh, you know, we, we had heard, uh, you know, we, we don't know this, this is speculation, but Duke had a really good system in place last year. And we were, we were hearing you know, upwards of a million dollars for these guys to come in for their NIL packages. Uh, I don't know that Carolina's quite there yet, but they've done a really good job of kind of getting off the ground. And there's financial uh, numbers there that make guys like Caleb Love and Armando Baycott, who are not first-round draft picks, that have guaranteed money in the NBA, to say, okay, well, I could sign a deal, not guaranteed, or I can come back, know that I'm going to get paid regardless, and I can have another year to really get better to try to move up into that first round. Uh, that's, you, that's not the purpose necessarily of NIL, but that is a benefit for these programs who have guys that are kind of borderline first round to entice them to come back and say, hey, come back. You're still going to make a lot of money because you're a big name. And I think that is really beneficial. And, yeah, I mean, Carolina – for sure, I think with Caleb and Armando, have uh, utilized that, and that's why those two guys are coming back. I mean, it's base form. It's just it's entrepreneurship, right? Like, and you're you put yourself in the market that you can be successful at, like UNC basketball, and then there's other channels as far as helping that. But then at the end of the day, like Armando's play and his character and his on-air personality and all the stuff that he does, like his cameos, like that's his own work. So like that's kind of the level as far as why certain players get more money. I mean, you can look at UNC versus smaller markets as far as NIL, but you can also look at compare uh, people to people as far as which players are getting what and things like that. Um, it's how it should be, but you're right. The Jordan Aston deal and some of the other stuff being like, Hey, come to our school and we'll give you this money. Or it was Isaiah Wong was, he was like requesting. He said, I'm leaving if I don't get paid. He, yeah, what, he what's happening wanted Miami to further facilitate NIL deals, like out an agent calling it out and stuff like that. Like that's not what one NIL is supposed to be, and two, not what it should be. But moving towards more and more of what it what it is, and people aren't really caring as much anymore as far as being outward and open about that. So there's not many rules for NIL, and just, just to refresh everybody's memory, there's basically three rules. Um, there cannot be pay for play. Uh, there cannot be improper inducements tied to choosing a particular school. So it can't be, hey, you come to USC and we'll give you $5 million in NIL, which is the rumor about Addison. And there cannot be compensation for athletic participation or achievement, meaning you can't say, hey, uh, we'll give you a million bucks if you average 20 points this year. So those are really the only rules that are associated there. Uh, Tommy asked about Wong. Uh, I was just reading a, a story. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, this is live. This is live television, everybody. Uh, while, you're, while you're looking it up, okay. gonna, Sean Crawley, if Sunrise Biscuits wants to sponsor me, I'll eat a chicken, egg, and cheese on air every Saturday morning like we did. Um, Mr. Bojangles, a great song, too. Sorry, Greg. No, and I don't think anything is really – uh, happened with that right there. All we know is that um, he has apologized for comments and said that the comments made by his agent were made without his approval. Uh, and so we will uh, see where things stand from that point forward. It's just interesting to me that sort of two-sided coin for me. I mean, watching – I like an older college basketball. 
I like where there's seniors and juniors and all that play. And we saw that a lot. Um, and we've seen that with Carolina and we're going to see it again with Carolina rather than all these one and dones. And it's interesting how NIL in that form has benefited college sports, I think benefited college basketball. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple components here that I think are interesting. One, does Carolina and, and, you know, we saw the trajectory Carolina basketball went on this year, you know, poor start to a great finish. Do they make that run without Brady Manick, who, to your point, is a veteran guy who'd been around? I would argue no, right? Um, so in football, what we started to see schools do, and Carolina has done this, uh, is you hold back a couple of scholarships. Now, when you have 85 scholarships available like football, it's easier to do. Basketball, you've only got 13. So if you're going to hold one back, you got to be very careful about what you're going to do, which brings up the other question of because of the portal, uh, is there going to be any conversation about the scholarship limits? I mean, is there any need for 13 scholarships if everybody's going to be in the portal regardless if they're not playing a lot? Um, granted, you, know, you don't want them there to be 20 guys on the team. Uh, but I wonder if, if we're getting to a point where there's going to be some leeway where, you know, you've, you have a grace period of a year. You, you have to have you know, maybe 15 one year, but you can reduce it the next year. Something along those lines, because if guys are entering the portal like Kerwin Walton last minute, um, that's problematic. I mean, this, let's assume that it's not Kerwin, right? Let's assume that it's Armando Baycott who enters the portal. Well, that's a big deal all of a sudden. That's a massive deal because Carolina has nobody in the post. Uh, and then so what do you then, do? Right. What do you do? You, you need probably two guys to come in to help try to replace what he can provide. But then you couldn't do that because you're over scholarship limit. Uh, so I think a lot of these things are going to be – they're going to have to play out. But it would not surprise me whatsoever to see the scholarship limit discussed to see if they need to give some kind of flexibility there. Um, and, and to try to handle this and address it so that it's fair for the players, but that is also fair uh, for the programs. Because, you know, Roy Williams, I, I'll never forget, I guess it was after 08. Um, that year I went down to Orlando because that's where the, the NBA draft combine was. Uh, and I believe the, the combine that year was after the uh, – the period when you had to pull out or something along those lines where it was, it was a problem for, for the program because he didn't know exactly what he was going to have the next year and he couldn't bring anybody in. Uh, and after that year, they made some pretty big changes to how all that was handled. And so I think we're probably walking into something like that where some changes are going to have to be made to where it's fair for both player and program. So let me ask you this. How do you uh, – what's the fix here? NIL is out of the bag. They're not going to – you can't fix that. Do you make do you make the portal or make transfer and get rid of the the one-year immediate eligibility waiver deal? I mean, is that a way to curb it? If guys have to sit out, they're not going to jump. And, and schools aren't going to pay somebody, you know, half a million dollars to come sit out a year. Or, right. You know, so is that the way you – assuming that there's any sort of governing body in the first place going forward, because it doesn't seem like it. There's got to be a governing body. Um, and there's got to be a way to, to hold people accountable for, for cheating. Um, you know, we, we, 
we had these discussions um, earlier in the year and uh, something was said on a podcast that uh, referenced a, a Carolina football player. Uh, and, and that stuff's only going to continue. Uh, and, it's, and it's not that there is a coach on another program coming to a player and say, hey, I know you're on the roster here at Carolina, uh, but I got $500,000 waiting on you if you decide to come play for me. It's not that clear cut. If it was, it'd be easy to solve, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, this player is on this roster. And, hey, guess what? I played with you in high school. We're, we're buds. And I heard, I'm just saying, I heard that if you decided to come here, there's going to be a lot of money for you. Now, coaches, of course, will never say that. But between you and me as old friends, if you come, it's going to work out just, just right for you. Um, so I don't know how you address that. But unless you can get a, a handle on the, on the cheating component of it, um, it's just going to be the wild, wild, wild west. Yeah, with no governing body effective governing body at the moment i don't know what they're gonna do it doesn't seem as much of an issue as it was for football like basketball not many basketball players were entering the portal mid-season correct correct and that's one of the things that mac brought up which i think is 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 a good idea it could fix football but it doesn't see it wouldn't affect basketball everyone's been entering after the season until may one right and that would have to that would have to take place you have to set like that's a starting point, right? Okay, you cannot enter the portal until – maybe it's you've got a month here after the season where you can enter the portal and be eligible next year. Um, yeah, and basketball is unique because, you know, signing period is like the beginning of the year, whereas football, it's, it's right – it's like three weeks away or after the college you know, championship game. Yeah. Uh, which makes it a little bit of a challenge too. So, yeah, football is a little bit different animal, but it's – those are the kind of things that you have to implement initially to at least kind of set some kind of structure. I mean, and you can withstand a hit, a single player hit in football a lot better than you can in basketball too, given the numbers. Go ahead, Gregor. Well, Greg mentioned governing body and punishment and people being held accountable and whatnot. I mean, some of the stuff that the NCAA investigates, I mean, takes years. Like someone asked in the chat, is Sean Miller ever going to see any fallout from like Arizona situation, right? Like the FBI stuff with like the Dennis Smith Jr. stuff with State, how long did that take? Like there's still the FBI stuff investigations and to certain programs is still going on. It's been like four years, you know? So it's like what, I mean, the NCAA is not swift enough, especially for just like one-time infractions. But like if there was a committee that saw the Jordan Addison USC stuff, I feel like that could be resolved fairly quickly or else it should be if there was such a uh, committee or something to like focus on that, you know? And part of the problem too is it, it kind of, it's funny how all this circles back. The NCAA is such a mess. Oh. Uh, I mean, like Memphis, you talk about those schools that are having issues. Memphis had issues. And when did their stuff come down? Right after they got knocked out. Of the postseason, and I, I don't know. This is just the. Um, I'm not a big NCAA fan. I am firmly of the opinion that had Carolina won the national championship game, we would pro- probably already have heard about Kansas. But because Kansas won, that's going to be drawn out a little bit more because you don't want your national champion having a bunch of bad press. That would just look bad. 
Um, but it goes back, you know, well, we covered this in depth a decade ago. But when you look at North Carolina's AFM situation, it was basically the exact same thing that happened at Michigan. But nobody covered the Michigan story. You know why? Because when the NCAA heard about Michigan, they went to Michigan and Michigan said, nope, we've got it. Stay out of our, stay out of our business. They come to Carolina. Dickie Vidor says, oh, we have nothing to hide. Come on in. That is it. That's the only difference. Uh, so Carolina was naive in how they handled it. And because of that, they, they paid the price. So all these SEC schools that have had so much success over the years, they have figured out ways to keep the NCAA at bay. I'm not saying all of them cheat. I'm not saying you know, all, all teams push the boundary as much as they can. Uh, but the NCAA does not have subpoena power. They do not have the ability to go in and grade academic work. Uh, so they very much are a figurehead. They don't have a lot of power. And so now that they opened up the doors to this last year, um, as I said, I, I think it's really going to take maybe the coaches associations. It's going to take some kind of autonomy structure, a new structure to come in and try to get a, a rein on all this because uh, we knew it was going to be a mess when it started. Uh, I expected it to be worse early than it was. But now when we're talking about guys like Isaiah Wong and we're talking about guys like Jordan Addison, uh, I mean, it, this, is, this is pretty serious stuff, pretty, pretty nasty stuff. You're listening to On The Beat Live. Uh, shout out to the 300-plus folks that are in here with us. I hope the Iron 142 that were with us the other night into the late night are all in here as well. We'll have to do something for you guys at some point. Um, Johnny T-Shirt, of course, our sponsor. Greg, um, in talking well, – we didn't even mention LSU, too. I mean, LSU had, like, nobody on the roster. Right. It was like it was kind of like the didn't all the thirteen scholarship players transfer out. They did not have a single single player on the roster. <laughs> the walk-ons were like that Will Smith scene, and I don't want to talk about Will Smith for other reasons. But when he's just sitting in his living room and the furniture's gone and everything, that's that was LSU basketball. So who knows what happens with that stuff? But yeah, I, I just think I think a simple fix um, to this NIL pay for play stuff is to make the portal you got to sit out a year. But whatever. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the basketball team itself. A lot of people are asking what Carolina has to do to get better. Look, portal names. I'd love to see the kid from Baylor come to Carolina. That would be rich to have an Oklahoma kid come in and show out and then have a Baylor kid come and show out. Um, and whoever else Hubert Davis thinks can help his team. But as far as who's on the roster right now, Greg, you mentioned Puff Johnson earlier. Um, and we talked about Dontera Styles at, at times. Folks got to realize, and you mentioned it earlier, Brady Manick was a unicorn the way he played for Carolina. I mean, I don't know if you could get a better fit for Carolina basketball in one new season than that guy. I mean, there have been guys that have played one year that have been really good, but Brady Manick was different. So can Puff Johnson, can Dontrez Styles, can they do enough, if it's them, to make up for what walks out the door um, or what has walked out the door with Manic leaving. I, I don't I don't see it, but do you think so? Yeah, Brady's ability to, to spread the floor and, and make shots the way that he did, especially down the stretch, uh, was was phenomenal and really kind of gave North Carolina a unique score. Um, and really, I, I think you can make the case, uh, people may not like this, you can make the case really late in the year 
the reason Carolina settled down is because uh, R.J. Davis settled into his role as the point guard. Brady Manick became that consistent scorer. Armando Baycott was you know, the guy he was all year long. Leakey realized what his position was. So you had four guys that had really stabilized and figured out who they were. And then you add in Caleb Love, who was kind of all over the place. He Great one time, bad the next. I mean, Final Four is a great example, right? The uh, shot that we will all remember for eternity against Duke. And then misses, you know, shoots North Carolina out of the, the title that, that, you know, two days later. Um, so losing Brady out of that mix takes a, a great score, one of the, the most potent three-point shooters in the country out of the game. Um, and he did so much for helping Baycott. He did so much for taking pressure off the guards. And now you still have Leakey. You still have RJ and Caleb and Armando. But you don't have this dynamic stretch four who can make a ton of threes and was this uh, kind of the, the heart of the team late. So how do you replace that? Um, you can still go with Puff or Dontrez, but to your point, those guys aren't those electric three-point shooters. They, they do things well enough to be good. Um, but Carolina was as good as they were in the NCAA tournament, in part because of that unique structure of the roster. Um, and maybe, as you said, you, Meyer can, can maybe come in and provide that. I don't you know, think he's quite the shooter that Brady was, but uh, we didn't think Brady was as good as he was going to be you know, before he stepped on the court. Uh, but all that to be said, Puff has to get a lot better. He, he played pretty well late last year. Styles has to get a lot better. Um, and so if, if that happens, Carolina will be okay but I don't know that they can replace Brady without bringing in somebody unique in the portal. Yeah. And go ahead, Gregory. Uh, there's uh, some comments on the, on the YouTube chat that I wanted to address right quick. Go for it. Can the numbers be replaced? Yeah. I, I think from a pure stat standpoint, certainly they can figure out how to replace the numbers, but Ben Johnston mentioned his common influence and the passing and somebody else mentioned the, the leadership and all that. That's a different level, especially when you're a guy that's played, you know, as many basket, college basketball games as he had and had seen it from somewhere other than Carolina. I mean, that's just different. And he brought something different. And you cannot speak to what it means to have a veteran presence that knows how to play the game and is good at it and what he does for a team. We saw it. I mean, we saw a team that was trash in the early season. And then he goes off again uh, after UNC Asheville and he makes his presence felt and they turned, they were three points from a national championship. I mean, that is still blows my mind to think about. I don't know about you guys, but it absolutely blows my mind that I sat in New Orleans Superdome and, and they almost won the national championship after some of the stuff I'd seen this season. Go ahead, Gregor. Well, what you just said about replacing the leadership aspect and it's right, rightfully so we should be talking about Puff and Don Trez as far as filling position wise and maybe some of the production, but it truly, I mean, it's RJ, Caleb, Armando, like it needs to be spread out further, mainly in my opinion to RJ and Caleb, as far as being year three guards. And it, I know you said you think about he's done it somewhere else. So that obviously doesn't apply here because Caleb and RJ have only ever played at Carolina. But as far as when it comes to replacing Brady, 
production standpoint will have to come from guys like Puff and Dontrez a little bit. Now they could grab someone from the portal. Um, Obviously when we're recording this and when we're talking about this, we don't know who that guy from the portal is going to be. Um, But as far as the leadership qualities, I think it really does like Caleb and RJ do have to make a substantial jump there. Um, And now the chemistry aspect of the team was phenomenal in March. That's why statistically they were the best team during the NCAA tournament from a metric standpoint. Now they were three points away from actually, I guess four points away from actually being the best team and winning national championship. But, but I think that's where some other things come into play here um, with the leadership aspect than just who's going to make, was it 96, 98 threes or something like that? Did he break a hundred? I don't even, I, it was up there. Um, Close enough. But I mean, second most in single season for UNC history. So it's like, it's not all going to come from one place, I guess is kind of where I'm putting it here. And it's not going to only come from one transfer either. Like it's going to have to come from guys that are already on the roster to help fill the void. Right. I, th- I think that's the, the thing people have to understand because the production will come. I mean, it's not like they're just going to lose his point total when the team drops off that much. So that's not how this works. But his unique ability to get shots off as quick as he did and to be as lethal as he was. I mean, we, you know, against uh, Baylor, I mean, the guy played 28 minutes, scored 26 points. And not to make too big of a deal about that game, but when he went out, that game changed on a dime because they did not have that, that weapon they could lean on anymore. Um, and that's, that's just kind of an example. You look last 10 games, he made three three-pointers in all but one. And the one that he did was Virginia Tech. And without him having you know, a normal shooting night, Virginia Tech was able to exploit Carolina and they made enough shots and won that one handily. Um, and so he, because he does so many unique things as a stretch four, it made things so much easier for Baycott down low, also made it easier for the guards. And it offset when Caleb had off nights, they could withstand it. And it didn't require Leaky Black to be a great scorer. Now, give Leaky credit for doing a lot better this year. Uh, and being able to knock down some shots that has to continue. But when you've got an elite scorer like Brady beside of him, he could do what he does and not have to worry about being that scorer. Uh, And so that changes for everybody when you take Brady out, unless you find somebody just like him. And I don't think Puff's just like him. I don't think Don is just like him. So everybody has to kind of shift their roles just a little bit. Uh, The good news is I think we know what Baycott's going to be we know what RJ is going to be. We know what Leak is going to be. You got three really good players who are kind of set, right? You need somebody to step up at the four. You need Caleb Love to make significant strides and consistency. We know his high is as high as it gets in college basketball. His low is pretty low as well. So that low floor has to come up dramatically, and I think that's the biggest challenge for the coaching staff this summer. With when it comes to the portal and a couple of names have been thrown around for UNC and whatnot, what I know you mentioned at the beginning, a backup to Armando, but is it strictly like a guy coming off the bench to spell Armando or is it a guy like the four that can play a five, but also can play. Is that, are we all in agreement that that's the player that UNC is going to get? Dawson Garcia and Brady Manning. I mean, okay. 
Manic was able to slide to the five when Baker came out. And he got a lot better defensively as the season went on. I mean, he forced guys to um, score. I mean, he didn't just olay people like he was able – like he did some early in the season. I mean, he got more physical. I think a guy like that – I think you need a four, a stretch four, that can play the five when Baycott's on the floor. And is the guy from Baylor that guy? I don't know. Is Nance from Northwestern that guy? Probably more so than Meyer is. Um, is Puff that guy? Yeah, I don't see that. Um, now, who knows? Who might get some serious juice this summer in the weight room. But, uh, you know, is Dontrez that guy? I don't know. Um, or a couple of the freshmen? I don't know. But if you can get a guy that can play the four, stretch four, and then slide to the five if Baycott gets in foul trouble or has to rest, I mean, they can't play 35 minutes a night, every night again um, with what the roster is. But anyway, I think fit, chemistry matter. We've seen how much that matters. Because I thought Darson Garcia was a pretty good player. He clearly didn't fit with what they were trying to do um, from a variety of um, of standpoints, and it didn't work out. Brady Manick, like I said earlier, unicorn. Can Hubert Davis find another unicorn? I guess we'll find out. What you got, Gregory, before we take a short break and uh, come back and talk a little bit of uh, whatever else folks want to talk about? Uh, this is kind of a – it's one question, but it's kind of two parts. The base of the question is, will there be an Iron Five next year or will there be a deeper rotation? And the second part of that is – at earlier on the season, we talked about rotation and how early on maybe Hubert would expand it, but he was obviously tight and was tight for the whole season for obvious reasons. Part of what we were saying in that was because we didn't really know anything about Hubert Davis head coach. So it's has to do with, do we think there'll be more depth next year? But also I don't think, I've, I haven't heard, Greg, what you learned about another UNC, covering another UNC head coach and what you think you learned about Hubert Davis throughout the season. I think the questions have to go together and would be an interesting answer slash discussion. Yeah, I think what we learned from Hubert Davis is that he has a pretty high threshold of what is required for guys to see the court. Um, and we just kind of assume that over the course of the year, the wear and tear on the guys would, would force his hand. Uh, you know, we've, we've given coach K plenty of grief over the years because he's ridden his, his main guys so much. Um, Hubert was pretty clear last year and granted, you know, not having Dawson really made a, a big difference there. Uh, but he was quite content to lean on his iron five, uh, throughout the entire year. And yes, Puff made strides and Dontrez Styles made strides. Uh, Just McCoy provided some some decent minutes at times late in the year, um, but they didn't see a, a ton of minutes. And what that proves to me is these guys know now uh, adequate's not enough to see the court, and so that should be motivation for these guys in the off season of okay under Roy he's going to play ten guys in November and December. Compare it down from there. So I had at least an opportunity to earn playing time during games. There's no indication from Hubert that's the case. I've got to earn it in practice. 
And maybe that's motivation for those guys this offseason. Uh, but if anything, you know, last year just proved to me that he wasn't just kind of biding his time. Like he had set uh, expectations for those guys to see the court. And over the course of the season, he was willing. To, I mean, he went so far as to change practice late in the year to give his starters more rest. They didn't do a lot of transition work in practice the last month and a half because he knew he was going to have to lean on those guys because the other guys weren't ready. And that speaks volumes to me. Greg, let me ask you one question before we get off this and move on. How much was the iron fiber result of Hubert needing to win this year? We talked about it in the early season, even in the preseason, that Hubert needed to win. And he was pretty clear he knew he needed to win early. Um, didn't happen early, but it did happen late. How much was that iron five a result of that aspect? I know he'd never admit that. I know he would never, ever say that um, because that's just the type of person he is. Um, he's going to give credit to the guys that deserve it. But how much of it was Hubert knowing he had to win and had those five guys he knew he could trust? It's a great question. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, you and uh, Sherelle were both of the mindset that he needed to play guys heavy minutes early because he needed to win. Um, I was kind of more of the mindset, that, hey, he's, he's going to be here for a number of years, uh, you know, three years unless this, the wheels fall off, right? So uh, there really isn't pressure on him to be great in year one. But then as the season got going and you had, I mean, what, they have four 20-point losses? which puts them in rarefied air, right? Only one of three teams since the ACC started, one of three Carolina teams, to have that many blowout losses. And then you're saying, saying well, okay, this is, this is not good. But then I think what happened was, as the season went on, and the guys started playing heavy minutes together, that chemistry worked. So I think the question is, did he play the guys so much together because he felt like he had to win? Or is it just a situation he thought those were the best guys he had? Everybody else wasn't doing what they needed to do to earn time. And just so happened late in the year, the chemistry worked because they were playing so many minutes together. And if that's the case, is that a lesson moving forward of saying, okay, if we can just give these guys enough opportunities, that chemistry is going to work itself out. Um, it's a great question. I don't think we would ever, like you said, I don't think we'd ever get a legitimate answer from him on that. Um, I would hate it if he thought like he had to win immediately. I don't think that's fair, but uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Regardless, leaning on the guys the way that he did uh, paid dividends. Well, he even said at one point, like, would you take him out? Like in a press conference. So it's yeah. like, it was also just, you wanted the best players on the floor and it was very obvious who those players were and you've got three incoming freshmen now and you'll be without some players so that the best players on the floor could change as far as there could be not saying the four guys from the iron five coming back are not going to be the best players anymore, but there could be more guys that work their way into that role, especially because Hubert's thing about you need to play defense. If you're going to play the incoming freshmen know that he was not lying. Like, I mean, they can ask any, they can ask Justin, they can ask Dontrez, they can ask Kerwin. Like, they can ask any of those guys, and they're going to be like, yeah, Coach Davis was not, like, you bet, if you want to play, you better play defense on me this summer or else come 
November, come October, when you start practicing, you will not be getting time with the ones. You, you're just not. So I think that's a benefit that the young guys have now, having seen a year from the sidelines of Hubert Davis. I guess not even the sidelines. They weren't even in the building. But I, I think that's a benefit that guys like Seth Trimble have coming in. So he knows. Like it's not a surprise what he needs to do to play and for Hubert to expand the rotation and for Seth to come in behind Caleb a little bit, behind RJ a little bit. Like it's, it's not a secret. Yeah. And the, the one thing I think is interesting is um, there are a couple of things we saw this year that were different than what Roy Williams does. I mean, obviously the, the four in one out kind of deal um, four out one in. Yeah. One out four in would not work. It used um, to be that way. I know <laughs> you're right. Uh, <laughs> But if you remember, I guess it was December or January, uh, I asked Hubert about uh, his team not forcing turnovers. And he was like, that's not something we even track. I'm like, wait a minute, what? That's that a big deal for Roy Williams. Uh, and truth be told, they finished 358th, no, sorry, 356th out of 358 teams in the country in turnover uh, rate on the defensive side of the ball. So they did not care about forcing turnovers. Uh, the other component is they were 59th nationally in offensive rebounding percentage. So not the emphasis that Roy Williams put on it, although, I mean, it still sent three guys to the, to the glass, but yet they were number two in defensive rebounding percentage. So clearly an emphasis on that end. Uh, so we have an idea of where his uh, focuses are. What I mentioned a second ago, though, because late in the year, because they were leaning on the, the starter so much, they really scrapped the transition game in practice. I mean, while tempo was pretty good, transition game was not good. And part of that's you know, Caleb. Uh, but does he make a point to try to play more guys and try to get more guys ready to help to be able to improve the transition game from this year? That'll be something to watch next season. If Because like, like Gregory said, you know, if, if Trimble comes in, he's ready to go. But you've got Caleb and you've got RJ. Well, he's got to get minutes somewhere, right? And that's a good thing. I mean, you want, you want to be able to cut their minutes back if you can. And now maybe that helps the transition game. And so all these things, again, this is a process. This is We don't know what Hubert Davis is, right? I mean, anybody that thinks we know what Hubert Davis is going to be as a head coach, you're wrong. We know there's great potential with how the team finished. It's going to take us a couple of years. It's going to take him a couple of years to figure out exactly what he wants to do. Does he change things up every single year? Does he know what he wants and he sticks to it? We don't know those things yet, uh, but these are the things that will be interesting to watch the next couple of years. Right, and I was going to say that I think what we kind of do know, at, at least at this point, and you're right, things can completely change, but, I mean, they changed the way the offense ran a little bit once – Dawson got his concussion and missed a couple of games. Like Hubert said, they had to go small a little bit and they saw how effective it was when that happened. And it wasn't Dawson and Armando in together and how much space they could have. And then that kind of sparked like a little bit of the offensive changes and like Hubert coached to the personnel that he had. I think that's very obvious. Um, now he's like I said, he had set guidelines as far as you have to be able to play this level of defense and at times yes Brady got exposed but he never didn't give 100% effort like he always was trying his best to put a body 
like he was being as confrontational as he was physically capable of. And if you get, if you're out muscled, you're, you're out muscled. Like you can only do so much. Um, like Draymond Green can't guard Giannis and Jokic one-on-one every single time. Now he can get a hand in and get a strip. Um, but it, it, at a certain point, you're physically limited on the defensive end down low, in my opinion. Um, but we have seen Hubert change to play style to personnel even in one season. So it would be really interesting to see what this team looks like early on with some new faces, or if it really is the same guys at the beginning and then the new faces will come in later on as they get better in practice and whatnot. I'm curious to see, because we know Seth Trimble's a good basketball player. We know Tyler Nickel and Jalen Washington can, can be effective. Now, whether or not it's year one, that's different. I think we all thought we were going to see more of Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn, but we didn't, and we all know why we didn't. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that's the same case with the with the three freshmen coming in. I guess four with Will Shaver, but he's already been on the team. I, I think, uh, and getting out of here on the basketball discussion, I, th- I think we have a couple things we know. We know the standard now. And we know it from the outside looking in, but the players know it from the inside looking out. They know what to expect. They know what Hubert Davis wants from them. And I quite frankly think it took a while for the players, even Armando, even those guys, uh, to to get that. Whatever happened, we can discuss what happened, what didn't happen, or whatever. Um, but I think it took them a while to understand the standard that Hubert Davis wants his team to play to. Also, you know what you have in, in Puff and Dontrez Styles. Um, and I look, I thought Puff Johnson, he surprised me. I didn't realize how tough he was. I didn't realize how physical he was. Quite frankly, I didn't realize how good he was. And Styles, I mean, Styles will go down. Um, he'll be forgotten last season. But if he doesn't hit that three in overtime against Baylor, Carolina doesn't go into the Final Four. They don't get out of that game without question. And, and so – um, that shot alone could give him a ton of confidence. I think Hubert Davis is going to play Sherelle. You know, Sherelle's like the, the expert on the sidelines, throwing in lobs uh, of nuggets and, and expertise. They only really need eight. And if you have the four, and then you have Styles and Puff and Trimble, and then a transfer, there's your eight. And so um, we'll see. They, uh, I think it'll be fun to watch. I do agree with you, Greg. I think it's a great point. We don't really know what Hubert Davis is right now. We know he coached his ass off the last month of the season. And like he said, there's live action going on out here. Whatever he said, he was on it. And he was in the middle of it. And it was pretty epic to watch. He was Gregory, at the Cades game last night. I know. And he, he didn't did get the, booed out of the place. He, he did um, the siren. Manic got booed pretty heavily the other night. But uh, you said you had one more last basketball thing before I take a commercial break. We talk football for a second. Uh, EvanMaya.com. We've talked about his stats a lot. and uh, I, linked, we, I linked his tweet. Yep. We, he makes it – his link makes it into some of the articles we do. Greg, have you looked at his transfer portal rankings? I have not. Meyer, number one. So he tracks – He's tracked based on – I don't know which what he uses as far as the portal access, um, but he tracks every player that's entered the portal, and he takes the stats from last year and does his whatever to project type of player they're going to be. He's got their high school recruit ranking, um, and then he's got their transfer ranking. And, Tommy, you mentioned at the very beginning of this about the timing 
kind of how like UNC's behind as far as the portal. There are 53 what uh, Evan considers five star transfer rankings. Um, and it's just based on just the type, how good they are as a player um, as far as performance wise. 26 of those have found a home of the top 53. So 50% of the most of the best guys available in the portal already got. Now there's still 27 very talented transfers in this portal. Now, not all of them are fours and fives. A lot of them are point guards. So then that decreases things. Um, people in the chat have been asking us who are some names to watch out for. Rel's got to scoop up. That's where you can get the most current info as far as the re- time of the recording of this. But if you want to do some of your own digging and be like, oh, maybe this guy could be a fit. So you can kind of track it with your own eyes. Go to evanmaya.com and you'll see guys like KJ Williams, um, maybe a Keontae Johnson from Florida. Like uh, there's another guy in here that I want to see, like a DJ Burns. Like there's a, there's a bunch of very talented fours and fives in this transfer portal. And it's a super cool tool. And I think it's just cool to follow because it's, I mean, Mayer just popped up because he entered the other, like at the very end, like he's adding it in real time. And it's cool to be like, how good of a player really is this guy? And you can look at all their efficiency metrics from last year projected. Was this guy good in high school? Most of them weren't, which is my favorite thing to look at. There's a lot of two-star high school recruits that are five-star transfer rankings now. It's pretty, pretty sick. Yep, interesting follow there. I, I agree. I listened to you and I followed that and I put that tweet in the Meyer thread or in the Kerwin transfer thread. I thought it was pretty interesting. So good, good nugget there. On the be live, Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com. Take care of them. They take care of us. Go see them on Franklin Street. Summertime when the classes are over and school's out, I just moved my oldest out of Granville. I mean, it was like nine months ago yesterday that he went. He's already home for after freshman year. So go see Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street or order from him online. 10% off your everyday order. They've got a ton of stuff. And they've got all the NIL stuff. We talk about NIL for 45 minutes on this podcast. Get on there, buy some of that stuff, and support the players that you like to watch, that you like to hear us talk about. Take care of them. Johnny T-shirt does it, and 10% is worth the deal. Subscribe, like the YouTube channel. We're going to take a national break, let the national guys pay the bills on the audio version, be back on the beat live. Portal Combat. Good line, Gregory. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, boys, we're back on the Beat Live. A little bit after 10 o'clock on the East Coast, Tuesday, May 3rd, 10.04 to be exact. Let's talk a, a, a brief bit of football. Um, and, Greg, I want to get your thoughts in here. We, we talked about – we've talked about them the offseason. People keep asking me, and I, and I borderline think it's ridiculous, but I guess the more I hear it, and you're going to be surprised at the question, is, is Mike Brown's got – is his seat any even a little bit warm this season? No. None. None. Six and six. Now, I'm not saying that because I think Matt Brown will get run out of Chapel Hill. I'm saying does the ship run aground 
if it's six or seven wins. I mean, what 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 is Mac got to have his team to do? And I'm gonna go ahead and tell people straight out. Mid August, we're having a prediction pod, and I'm already getting hyped about it. What does Mac have to do, Greg, in this? you know, leading up to the season and going into the season to keep the ship rolling forward, because clearly last season sort of slowed down the Titanic a little bit. It did. Um, and I think we're kind of seeing the ramifications of that right now with kind of the slow start to recruiting, even though they did pick up a, a good recruit out of Virginia today. Uh, I'll, I'll never say never. Um, I may, I got pretty close to saying never for Larry Fedora early <laughs> in 2018 because, uh, several people that, that we trust around the program and around the university, we, we asked and like, Nope, Nope. He, uh, he, he won the coastal a couple of years ago, had a couple of really good years, uh, big buyout. He'll come back and the combination of recruiting falling off a cliff and Mac Brown, uh, being available and willing to come kind of uh, made that, that nope, a, a yes. So, um, I won't say never. However, I really believe all this has been building to two, you know, 2023. And I think that's the year when the talent is going to be experienced. It's going to be elite. They're going to have, whether it's mayor, Chris, well, is going to have a, a season as a starter under their belt. That's the year where there's going to be a lot of hype, a lot of pressure on this coaching staff to win the Coastal and, and really make a run at the ACC title and maybe beyond. Um, I think this year is a bridge year. If you go six and six again, uh, it's, going to, it's going to make it easier for the other programs that you're recruiting against to hit you hard. That doesn't change what you already have on the roster. Um, and so that would, that would put a lot of pressure on Mac going into 2023. But when you look at the, the schedule this fall, there's some good teams that are going to be playing. I mean, I think Notre Dame's going to be really good. I think Pitt's going to be really good, even if they lose Addison. State's going to be good, even though nobody wants to give them credit, which I understand. Uh, Miami's going to be good. I mean, those are, those are four games right there that North Carolina could lose uh, easily. And now you're talking about eight and four. And if you slip up in Boone or something like that. So, uh, you know, I think the team will have a better record than they did this past year just because they, they underperformed. Um, but I think with Gene coming in and all those kind of things, I think as long as they show improvement from last year, uh, you, you may have some people not happy. Uh, but, but I think that the determining year will be 2023. Buck's a big uh, SB plus football power index guy. I don't know if you guys read his uh, yep. three columns last week. Seven and a half and five and a half is what the metrics yeah. have UNC at. And I think over under seven and a half wins is probably the number, right? I agree. Like if, if, yeah. if you're Vegas making betting lines, I think you, if you, anything other than that, you're not, I don't think you're doing your job very well. I mean, would you, would you bet on this team winning at least nine games? No. I wouldn't either. Uh, I had a question. What have I said about Carolina football for years, Greg? It's the hope that kills you. No, that too. It's not the despair. It's the hope. Uh, yeah. 
They're an eight win team. That's an yeah. eight win program. What's so their average? Eight. What's their average wins over the last twenty four years in my lifetime? Probably six Probably, and a half. I was say lower than that. Yeah. Um, Since Matt left. But part of the reason why Carolina is an eight win team, like Tommy says, is because they're kind of a fringe top twenty five recruiting program. And that's where the hope comes from because Mac has done better than that. So the hope is that with the recruiting being better, therefore those eight wins should become nine and 10. Um, so we shall see. I like how somebody said, I'm going to believe it when I see it with the football program. Realistic I, Tar Heel fans think. What was the first time I heard that? I swear I heard that realistic Carolina fans think 20, uh, no, three, think 2001 i think that's the first time i heard that gregory you got anything yeah um <laughs> we didn't we didn't i don't think we even other than releasing articles haven't really talked about the nfl draft but i was just curious what's a more important talking point sam howell falling to the fifth round or unc getting four draft picks and tying to the top of the acc I think if I'm talking about it and I'm the program talking about it, I'm talking about the number of draft picks. I just mean like what, what's a like more important conversation to have? Is it looking at Sam Howell sliding to the fifth round or is it like, look, UNC put they're tied for first in the ACC and draft picks this year. Like not if you're UNC, but just like looking at it as far as like impact on the program. Like what's, you know what, you know what I'm trying to say? I do. I think it's how. You think that's more important than still getting four guys in the draft? Yes. My thing is you had two offensive linemen drafted, one in the third round, and the offensive line looked the way they did. That was addressed in the offseason. Yeah. Why, the, why, why Sam, a, Greg? Uh, hang on. I think yeah, yeah. it would be interesting to get Jason Staples' take on that. We need to bring him on because you know, Staples has been high on Azudu from day one just with his versatility and everything. He's also hit the offensive line pretty hard on poor fundamentals. Uh, and so I think those go hand in hand. I mean, Zudu was great for a reason. And it's kind of like a state. I mean, uh, if you look at what they did running the ball last year, they ran behind Icky. And the guy goes top 10 in the draft for a reason. But he uh, was – Carolina destroyed him in that game. Yeah. That's, that is interesting. It is. It is. I mean, it also just shows how hard it is to actually be a, like that dominant of a all the time. Offensive. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so with Sam, I, I think the the fact that he was considered a legitimate first round pick before the season, he was a preseason uh, Heisman contender, and even leading up to you know coming after the pro day uh, and leading up to the draft. I mean, there are articles out there that hey, he's impressed people enough. He could sneak into the first round. Um, and we, we had a story ready to go Thursday night, you know, in case he got drafted. Uh, so for him to fall as far as he did, now the, the issue is, why is that? You know, there, there were some rumors that he didn't handle the interviews very well, uh, which plays a big role in things. There's some other speculation about certain things I won't get into, um, just in terms of decision-making. Uh but then there's also the conversation that one of the NFL personnel guys mentioned about the offense being very simplistic in Chapel Hill. 
Uh, and, you know, I think the system quarterback conversation, I know it's been around forever, but I have to think it started with Rich Rod or with Mike Leach. Isn't Tom Brady a system yeah. quarterback? That's different. That's in the that's for the pros. Right, right. Not uh, a Texas Tech quarterback that those were five thousand yards. And right. Okay. June Jones at Hawaii. Right. I mean, he had guys that would throw for. Was it Timmy Chang? Was that who it was? He threw for yeah. like seven thousand yards one year. <laughs> um, you have a lot of guys like that who were labeled system quarterbacks. And granted, they the reason they were labeled system quarterbacks is they went to the NFL and had no success whatsoever. And uh, Gregory, your own uh, Auburn War Eagle guy, uh, Cam Newton, the word on him coming out of college was basically what Malzahn told him was, you look at this guy over here, if he's not open, you run it. And that was kind of the joke about Cam. I mean, it It won a national championship. (laughs) Right. So, and that is the point. That's where I'm going with this. (laughs) What is your goal as a program? Is it to, to trot out there an elite guy that goes top 10 or a guy that goes out there and has won a bunch? And if we know anything about Phil Longo's offense is that it puts up very impressive numbers. Now, plenty of people will argue, and we have for three years now, that the numbers look really good against lesser opponents. And when you play good defenses, you have some problems in short yardage situations and not the goal line. Anybody remembers the pit game last year? Uh, and, and so that's that's part of the conversation, right? But so, let me ask you a question. Let me interject. Isn't that true with any quarterback? Yes. You have better numbers against lesser teams. You're lesser. You're not as good against the better teams, unless you're Johnny Manziel, who has a made a, multiple millions of dollars on that play, those that Alabama game, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, anyway, he looked good against Duke too. And the <laughs> who didn't? Well, I know who didn't that year. <laughs> uh, but that's the – and that's – those are the conversations. of Okay, was it something that Sam did or was it the fact that he came out of a Phil Longo offense? Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't so think therefore, it's – if he's come if he had come back, he's not going to get that much higher next year? Like he, it, it would be the same same reasons next year? I mean, you got I saw three, that discussion. Get, yeah, I mean, you got. I mean, what what's he going to prove? Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. The only thing he was going to do is is in his career on his back as many hits. As yeah, he, he, he probably. Although, if he plays at Washington, he might be on his back more. Um, do you well, think the talk about him being comp too early to Baker, and then Baker ending up not being who everyone thought he was, hurt him, or is that just? Like, do people actually care? Like, do scouts and stuff actually care that he got comped as Baker Mayfield and then they see Baker Mayfield and they're like, yeah, we maybe don't want this Sam Howell guy if he's just another Baker? I mean, I think Sam – I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think the, the scouts know better than to draw comparisons like that. Um, and I don't think – I think a lot of Baker's issues is kind of between his head, between his ears and his head. Um, I, I don't think Sam necessarily has that same issue. Um, and, and, I mean, who knows? I, I think I think what you see is because we're not getting straight answers from the NFL teams, that NFL reporters have to reach a little bit, which is kind of what we're doing here, right, of trying to explain why did he go in the fifth round 
when we thought he would go, if not the end of the first round, at least second round, right? I mean, I was glued to the TV Friday night, fully expecting Sam to be one of the first 10 or 15 guys off the board. And we had to wait till the middle of the afternoon on Saturday. So Now, all quarterbacks fell outside of Pickett. Correct. So it's not like all the other quarterbacks were drafted in the second round. Like A quarterback's a weird thing. Uh, and it's it, the bottom line is uh, what I would like to think is if you can play, you'll play in the league. You'll have an opportunity to play. We'll see what happens. We'll get staples on here. We'll get maybe a couple NFL draft experts. We had one um, on Inside Carolina Live, our last episode of the year at WCHL on Saturday mornings, worth to listen to. But the bottom line is if he can play, he'll probably get an opportunity to show so, it. So let me ask you this. If there's a flaw of, of Sam, I think we, we all agree that he, he can hold on to the ball a little bit too long. Yes. But I'll ask both of you that question. After watching him for three years, do you think the kid can play and do you think he can play at NFL level? As a simple spectator of the game, I think it can be accomplished. Yes. As a Panthers fan that watches Sam Darnold trot out there, Yes, I think he can make NFL-level throws. I think he can make NFL-level decisions, maybe not at the level he needs to right now, but I think it can be done. Yes. But that's just as a spectator of the game and a spectator of the league, not as someone that's coached or played. The Panthers lost a ton of fans in the Carolinas or in North Carolina especially, when they traded up to get Corral from Mississippi. And at the Kenny Chesney concert the other night, Tepper, the Panthers' owner, was sitting right above us in his box and wanted to tell him that. But anyway, I don't know, Greg, to answer your question, because there have been a lot of guys that were really, really good that did not play well and did not show anything in the league. The league's just a different animal. The windows go from this big to that big. Um and if you wait to see – I saw a line that says, if you wait to see somebody open in the pros, you're not playing in the pros. It just doesn't work that way. And a lot of times, how, at least at Carolina, um, have guys wide open. I don't know. I hope he plays well. I mean, it will do good for Carolina football for him to show out and have an opportunity. I do think there's some value of not going high as a quarterback because – I completely agree. It can help Sam. Yeah, and, and – Look at so, Mr. Trubisky. And he's worn that second-round pick uh, above Deshaun Watson and Mahomes his entire career. Um, and he probably will wear it until he's not playing football anymore. Um, we'll see how he does in Pittsburgh. Anyway, anything else, boys? It's been a good hour, I've 20 minutes. Lot, I've lost a lot of daylight here. I'm, like, running out of uh, – You're in San Diego, man. Sun's going how, long, nice. how long does this uh, supposed girlfriend of yours spend at the gym? <laughs> That is classic, man. She has she she has been at the gym for an hour and a half. That is it is a twenty four hour gym. She's getting she's getting swole. Do you have find my iPhone, my brother? She's probably text. She's she's probably texting me soon. I'm at the bar. Live live three sixty. Yeah, I think that is one of the greatest questions and comebacks Greg Barnes has ever had on this podcast at the expense of Gregory Hall. Look, you still got to know your role, Gregory. Where is she? Look, I'm yeah, I got it. She, she's driving right now. She's on her way home. So you're stalking her too. 
y'all, man, you're a mess. She'll come home to you. You're only 3,000 miles right, away. Tommy, let's, let's take another break and uh, we'll, we'll keep right. this going. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see until she gets home. We're not ending the show until <laughs> she comes back from Gold's 24 hours. Oh, she, would, she would hate me if I like, she turned to, she gets home from the gym all sort of, I'm like, we wait for you. Come get on camera. <laughs> we will let you slide look we're going to try to get staples on one of these in the coming weeks we're going to have our guest um i can't believe somebody hadn't said uh, does she know man Taitea, to be honest with you you probably don't even know who that is gregory i i do i do <laughs> so someone, someone, someone said uh-oh brother she might be with the trainer <laughs> all right let's let's end it Let's get out of here before we get into, we all lose our jobs. All right, boys, it's been fun. Y'all be safe. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. I've been your host, Tommy Ashley. It's Johnny T-shirt sponsored on the beat live inside Carolina's family of podcasts. Check them out. Check us out. We'll see you around the corner.